We're going to be uh, in 2 John this morning, so if you'd like to turn with me and uh, follow along in your Bibles. Um, we all know that Jackie can spend three weeks on one verse. So we're going to ask him to get through a whole book today. So we'll see if he can do it. Second John. The elder of the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son, Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and in love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not, know, do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teachings has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. You join me in prayer. Tell me, Father, Lord, we just come before you as your church, Lord. Lord, we want to be a blessing to you. Lord, we want to be obedient to you. Jesus, you gave us two commandments. One, that we're to love God with all of our power, all of our might, all of our soul. And the second is like it, that we love one another. So, Lord, these uh, verses, the scripture we're reading today that Jackie's going to teach on reinforces those commandments, Lord. So, Lord, we just praise you. We give you all glory. We pray for your anointing over Jackie as he brings your word. We just pray his son, Jesus. Amen. Oh, God is good. <laughs> I'm a testimony of his goodness. First, second, and third John deal with two primary subjects. Things that we have a hard time comprehending. And we'll, second John's going to focus on the errors that we'll get into. Actually, second and third John. The two main issues is what? Love your brethren love one another the second one is beware deceivers so we're supposed to love one another and we got to be careful of deceivers and jesus told us right jesus told us paul told us that there were jesus said many false christs would come in his name but they were false paul said that savage woods wolves would come after he left and so they were to be prepared for the reality that there will be that which is 
false that comes in. We have to be on our guard. But we still have to love one another. And you can see how those two terms could drive you to uh, an exclusivity one way or the other. I love everyone, even those who are false, and I'm receiving the false because I'm trying to be loving. Or I reject everyone because there's a chance somebody's false, and so it's easier just not to be wrong, so I'll just treat everybody like they're a deceiver. And John is encouraging the body that we want to beware of those extremes. This is mankind. It's what we do. I call it the pendulum swing. Like for a while, we'll be doing a particular thing. The pendulum's on the right, but we'll discover that thing that hurt us somehow. Now, the pendulum never goes to the middle. Where does it go? All the way to the other side. So now we're over here on the other side because we don't want what happened over there to happen to us again. And what John is trying to get across to to you and I and to the churches that he wrote to is the idea that we don't want to do that. We want to be able to say things that glorify God and do things that glorify God. And when you and I love one another. When we love the brethren, it glorifies God. And when you and I are not taken in by deception, but rather are able to recognize it and, and flee it, it glorifies God. But we can't do it by doing the wrong part. You get what I'm saying? I can't say, well, I'll get half of the equation right, so I'm just going to be treating everyone like a deceiver, then I'm not honoring God. And there's a reason for that, and John tells us that in the very first two verses. We want to be able to understand what he's saying. Look, the elder to the elect lady and her children. Now, there's a lot of conversations you can get in. John's, who's John writing to? Some would say he's writing to Mary. Some would say he's writing to a woman who has a house church Uh, in her house. Uh, I take these as metaphor. John is calling himself the elder because he's the last disciple left. All the other guys are dead. So he's it. The elder, not an elder, not a elder somewhere. He is the elder, the only one left from the original 12. He's writing this probably somewhere close to the mid 90s, which is pretty close to the end of John's time. So as he's laying this out, he calls himself the elder, and then he's writing to the elect lady and her children. Now, the Bible would tell us that the church is the bride of Christ, right? And so this is a letter to the church. Obviously, the person who received it understood who it was coming from. So these are people within John's ministry that he reached out to unanimously this is accepted as John. It's the same kind of writing, same style, same subject, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now here's the interesting part. 1st John gives us the overarching teaching. Then 2nd John focuses on corporate, the idea of what's what's happening in the church. And 3rd John's going to zoom in to the individual. And discuss these same things. So we'll see Third John next week. I am definitely going to finish Second John. 
Well, we'll see. Okay, so the elder, John, to the elect lady, that's the church. Now, here's what you need to understand. How, how is it that we're supposed to uh, honor and glorify God by loving one another and beware, being wary of deception? Listen to what he says. He says, one, I love in truth. So he loves the, ch- the church. Where? In truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth abides in us and will be with us forever. So he's saying, look, it is important to to love in truth. It is important to stand in truth. It is important to be grounded in the reality that as believers in Jesus Christ, we believe that truth not only is knowable, but it corresponds to reality which really flies in the face of most of the views of truth in the world today. You have uh, cultural relativity, you have societal relativity, you have personal relativity, but they all have one thing in common. All three of those views would state the truth is not knowable except for the individual that knows it. And, And each culture has their own version of the truth. And each society, they, they will have not only their version of the truth, but then the ability to enforce that truth and the personal individual. So by the time you're done looking at all this, it's no wonder that many in our world today say what Pilate said. Kied est veritas. What is truth? That's why it's important to know the one before whom Pilate stood, who had declared in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. One of the beautiful things that we come to recognize as we study the word is there are several things that God's word tells us so that we can know the ground upon which we stand. We can know it because the word of God declares it to us. First, the Father is truth. That's Deuteronomy 32. The Father, God the Father, He is truth. He is righteous. He is just. He is holy. The Son is truth. I just told you John 14, 6, but there's many others. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is truth. We'll read that in just a moment. The Word of God is truth. John 17, right? Thy word is truth. Truth is knowable, and it corresponds to reality. It's it's real. You can see it. John says, "I, I want you to know, elect lady, I love you in truth. He's talking about, I love you in Christ. I love you in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. And as we stand together on the word, we have this unity of love. That unity of love comes from what some would call orthodox Christianity or the tenets of the faith. The things that make you a Christian. There's no no relativity in Christianity. I know a lot of people think this because I've had a lot of people tell me, Jackie, I'm a Christian. But I don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. I don't believe the Bible has anything to tell us for today. 
I, I don't believe that there's a Holy Spirit. And so do you see the problem? <laughs> Truth corresponds to reality. You can say whatever you want. You can make any truth claim. But the Bible teaches us there is unity in truth. The truth of who Jesus Christ is. Who he has declared himself to be. This same author, John, would write in John 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him. You know him and he is with you and he will be in you. So what binds us and gives us the ability corporately as a body to, to be able to love one another as we have unity in the truth, who is the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he has revealed that truth to us through his word. So when there are claims made, and this is going to matter in a few verses, we can see, yes, this lines up with truth. Are you guys with me? This lines up with truth. And so in truth, I can say, like John, I love you in truth. Because we're standing in the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I can say, not only I, but everyone who's standing in the doctrine of Jesus Christ can say, I love you in truth. Because we're all in truth. Same spirit in you is in me. Right? Is the triune God divided? No. What about the church? Uh, why do you think that is? Now, I don't have a problem with denominations. Most of the time, denominations is just a way to decide, here's the things we like about how we are going to organize the body, how we're going to run the church, how we're going to worship, those things. That's, that's the majority of denominations. It's not a different Jesus, right? But there are some that it is. Beware deceivers. My little children love one another. Stand in truth. Look at verse 2. Because the truth does what? It abides in you. The truth abides in you. It means it, it's walking in you. It's living in you. It is, it is there to... to uh, Help us comprehend what I'm doing. Now, it's not the idea of subjectivity. You guys ever get into an argument with somebody about a subjective point? Like, um, you know, I think that shirt is ugly. But I think that shirt is not. Well, I don't care. I think your shirt is, that's subjective, Right? Is there something, is there some way to be objective about it? Maybe an extreme, on one extreme or the other, but for the most part, that's subjective, right? That's the area of feelings. When someone says, God told me that you, 
that's making a truth claim about the Lord we ought to be very careful with. I'm sure most of us, if we're honest at one time or another, perhaps have had that bite you. We want to be careful about the words that we use. But when someone makes a truth claim, the Lord told me I should be able to line that up with the truth of Scripture, right? Because the truth of the Spirit does not negate the truth of the Word, does it? Now, what if the Holy Spirit tells me something and you say the Holy Spirit told you something and they're not the same? What's the tiebreaker? The Word of God. We've got to come to the Word of God. We've got to focus on what does the Word say? And the end of it, most of the time when people tell you they have a word of the Lord for you, it's because they want you to do something. It would be easier just to say, you know, I want you to do something. Wouldn't it? So we want to say, no, I, I want to come. I want to come bearing truth. Now, when somebody makes that claim, we can sit down. I've had brothers come to me and say, Jackie, I have a word from the Lord for you. And we sit down and I've had people prophesy over me, prophesy word over my wife and I, over ministry here at Calvary Chapel Buell. And I always say the same thing. Thank you. And then I wait to see if these things are true. Because what God says will always be true, right? It will always be true. So we can love one another standing in the unity that God gives us that is bound in the truth. Because the Father's truth, the Son is truth, the Spirit is truth, the Word is truth. We're able to stand in this realm and in truth learn how to love one another. Now look where he goes in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth. He says it again, doesn't he? In truth and love. And I love these three things he talks about. We're going to have grace, mercy, and peace. Now, grace is an unearned gift. An unearned gift, something you don't earn, you're not good enough to get, you didn't, you didn't work the amount of hours to receive, that's grace. The Bible would declare to us in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Get it? It is the gift of God. This, this salvation we have through grace by faith. It is something God has given us. We didn't earn it. I wasn't good enough for it. I didn't, I didn't do enough good deeds to receive it. We are saved by grace. 1 Timothy 1.14 says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. You know who's talking. Paul is talking in 1 Timothy. You remember what Paul did. Paul killed Christians. He went around and killed them. He imprisoned them. He made sure that they were put to death. He held the coats of those who were stoning them. Right? We all are aware. So when he says, when Paul says, man, when I think about the grace of the Lord that overflowed to me, because everything I did was not deserving of it. And, and I, I want you to understand that Paul's, Salvation is not something out of time. Paul's salvation is the same way 
you got saved. It's the same way I got We were all once dead in our trespasses and sin, but God, he spoke into our life, didn't he? Yeah. Just like he came to Paul on the Damascus Road, right? And everybody likes to say Paul got knocked off his horse, but you guys know that there's no horse in the Bible. It doesn't mean he wasn't riding one. Maybe he was. But nonetheless, there's a song Hank Williams Sr. wrote. You know what it's called? I saw the light. There was another guy who used to be a slave trader, and he said, I was, once I was blind, but now I. You guys understand what they're describing is the intervention of God into the life of the lost person. You don't discover God. God reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to you. He reveals himself to you through his word. He reveals himself to you through another believer, someone sharing the gospel with you. Perhaps you, you came to hear a boring preacher and he said something and the Holy Spirit used that thing to prick your heart. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's God who reaches us. That's called grace. I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I know who I am. And every other human being who knows who I am says the same thing I do. Yeah, you don't deserve that. <laughs> you don't deserve that. I had a buddy in the Marine Corps. His name was Tony Arsenal. And, and when, the years I was in the Marine Corps were, were we call them the dark ages. It was really bad. I was, I was, I was, um, I was a wretch in those days. And... I remember calling him like, I don't even know, 15 years later, and now I'm in ministry. And so I'm calling Tony. He's, Tony goes, oh, Jackie, how are you? Oh, I'm great. He says, so what are you doing these days? Uh, I'm a preacher. And he was dead silent for like a minute. And then he said, do they know who you are? I'm pretty sure they, they think not everybody believes it. But, yeah, uh, they know. He said the roof didn't fall down. Nope. Nope, I'm doing it. And, and I was thankful because at the same time he and his wife were, were uh, plugging into church. So we were kind of finding, we were, we were finding how to walk with God around the same time. You know, the Lord had moved in our life and called us. And so it, it is a... It is a pleasure for me for that because Tony's in heaven now. And so I can say, well, I'll see you later, brother. I'll see you later. But he knew this grace. The next word is mercy. Mercy is God withholding the punishment I deserve. Mercy is God withholding the punishment that I deserve. So one of the things we have to understand, people, if people don't understand their, their sinfulness, why do they need a Savior? If I don't understand my wretchedness, why do I need the Lord? I'm basically a good person. I'm like every other good person that's out there. But the Bible declares you and I, prior to Christ, were children of wrath. Meaning the only thing that we could expect from God was wrath. 
and God's wrath is bad. But when we come to the Lord through Jesus Christ, the Bible declares you are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's right. We get mercy. He provides his mercy. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We earned death. We receive life. Second Peter 3.9, we talked about this earlier. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise to some count slowness, but he's patient toward you. He does not wish that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God gives mercy. A lot of times we ask, why? Why does the Lord not just smite us? Why doesn't he Why doesn't he take all the wickedness out? And the truth remains the same. The Lord is as long-suffering with the wicked as he was with you. Waiting that none would perish. And then ultimately we have peace. The state of mind you and I have when we are confident of God's grace and mercy. The state of mind we have when we are confident of God's grace and mercy. Jesus Christ is my peace. He has become my peace. He ended the war between me and God. Jesus did that. And he brought me into a place of peace. It says in Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And where does it all come from? The scripture told us in 2 John 3, from the Father and from the Son. That's who it comes from. It comes from the Father and the Son, who is his Son in truth and love. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, And strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is God's son, not only in truth, he is also God's son in love. Now, in verse 4, he says, So I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in truth. That's a true statement, right? Maybe some of us are super blessed and we have all of our children walking in truth. But most of us are happy we have some of our children walking in truth. While we long for the day when we could say all of our children walk in truth, we understand as he looks out over the children, those who have gone out from the elect lady who have left this church and gone out and planted other churches and are doing other things. They're moving here. They're moving there. As they they look at those things, he's saying, I rejoice. He himself had found some of your children walking in truth. He found them standing on what was important, just as you were commanded by the Father. This is the truth he's saying they were walking in. Listen, he says, Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. You know what he's going to say, don't you? We've heard this exact phrase from John already a couple times. A new commandment, a fresh commandment, one we have had from the beginning, that we love One another. What did he find her children doing? He found her children loving one another. 
Some of them were loving one another. Some of them were struggling with loving one another. We'll, we'll be introduced to those fellows when we come to 3 John. But here, <coughs> as we look, <coughs> he's saying, look, as I visited, you know John's visiting the churches, right? He's traveling as much as he is able to go and make sure everybody's doing well. He's the last of the original group of apostles who is going forth. Most of them have died. Paul's gone. All the other disciples have have perished, he's last. The second generation of guys, the ones whom we call early church fathers, they're starting to, to rise to the top. In fact, one of John's disciples, his name is Polycarp. And if you've ever studied anything about church history, you know that Polycarp also has his date. But these one generation passed to the next generation, passed to the next generation. That's why we still have the faith today. And so he says, look, your children are walking in truth. This truth, this commandment that we have from Christ, this commandment that says we are to love one another. And then he defines it for us in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. Now, before everybody gets confused, he goes on. This is the commandment. Okay? So we want these people loving one another and following his commandment. And this is the commandment. This is what we're talking about. This commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so you shall walk in it. So as we look in this section, we see John beginning with its expression of joy, right? Hey, man, I'm rejoicing over those who are walking in love with one another, rejoicing over this reality, in 1 John 3, 23, it says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Just as Jesus commanded us. John 13, 34. Same writer. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and here's the new part. Just as I loved you, you are to love one another. John is saying, I'm rejoicing because I found believers out there doing this. So the good news is, it's possible. The bad news is, it was only some of them. So we've got things to work on, right? And as we look at it, we understand that the ability to love one another is founded or uh, rooted in truth. The truth of God and the truth of his word. And so <clears throat> rooted in truth, we have growing out of that the ability that you and I have by the spirit of truth that is within us to love one another, which is a commandment Jesus gave to the church. And we're, do you think those have nothing to do with our relationships with one another? Is there ever going to be a time you need to extend grace to a brother or sister? Is there ever going to be a time you need to extend mercy to a brother or sister? Is there ever a time you're going to need to pursue peace with a brother or sister? So John, writing to the church, he doesn't just randomly choose his words. He's not just throwing this greeting together and we just say, well, he's just saying hi. No, what did he say? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. 
He's saying, here's the blessing that you need as you are desiring to love one another. You're going to have to have grace for each other. And you're not going to want to do it. Because in our human heart, we want justice. We want someone to pay. But remember what Jesus said. I want you to love like I loved you. Did God make you pay? No. You know why? Because you couldn't. So he gave you grace. Did he bring that swift and heavy punishment upon you? No, the word is mercy. He did not give you what you deserved. And what did that bring? Peace. Grace, mercy, bringing peace. We want the ability to love one another this way. This is the basis of Christian living. This is not the basis of Christian living in a lot of places today. But it's supposed to be the basis of Christian living. It's supposed to be what marks us apart. It's what Jesus said. Everybody will know you follow me because you do this thing. We need to grow in that. Lay down your sword. Put away your weapons. Love your brother. Love the body of Christ. Don't allow the body of Christ to be divided. Don't allow the body of Christ to be destroyed because of that. Listen to what John wrote, same author, 1 John 3, 16 and 17. By this we know love, that he, Christ, laid his life down for us. Now, I could just say that that means he wants us to lay our lives down for others, but I don't have to because he wrote it. He goes on to write, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We ought to lay down. What is, that, what is implied by that statement? We ought to be doing this implies that we struggle doing it, right? We ought to lay down our lives for one another. We grow up in a very selfish culture. We grow up in a very selfish society. We've been sold all of these things since we were children. Look, man, if you want something, then just go get it. Go work for it. Go, go figure it out. Go make it happen. But you know that that flies in the face of Christ, right? Because you couldn't get saved that way. You cannot get saved that way. Remember where we started. It is a gift of God, not of yourself. When we look at it, listen, he says, by this we know love. He, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, so we ought to do for one another. We ought to do for one another. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, he asks this question, how does the love of God abide in him? 
That's a big statement John's making. That ain't light. That's heavy. If I have the ability to help someone who is in need, a brother, we're talking about a brother, the world, the poor you will have with you always, Jesus said. We don't have, this is not a, a sermon on Terry to help him. And I withhold it from him. John says, how is it the love of God is in you? What was the most precious possession the father had? It's probably a bad way to use those words, but most precious thing he had. What was the greatest treasure of all of heaven? Jesus. What did he give us? Then how will he not also with him freely give us all good things? He has given us the greatest treasure there is. Now we cheapen that treasure because we think, but if I could add a motorcycle, or if I could add a new house, or if I could add another car, if, I, if only I could. But the Bible would declare the greatest treasure of all of heaven has been given to us. So the basis of Christian living to which all believers are to walk is this concept of loving one another. And the same author, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John. He is driving all of these things home. We want to love one another. And he explains it. What is this love? That we walk according to his commandment. And what is the commandment? You see it's singular, right? He said that we walk according to his commandments. That's plural. You guys see it? That we are to walk according to his commandments. That's plural. And this is the commandment. That's singular. What is the commandment that fulfills all the commandments? Love God and love one another. <laughs> this is the command. This is how we do it. Romans 13 verse 8 says this. You guys are probably familiar with this phrase. You probably heard it from somebody, some, some of your well-meaning friends trying to keep you out of debt. Oh, no one anything. Has ever heard somebody quote that to you before? Oh, no one anything. How come we always leave the other part off? It says, oh, no one anything except love each other. Love each other. For one who loves another, what does it say? Has fulfilled the law. Hear it again. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, plural, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You will love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. This is the commandment we have had from the beginning. Now, this is one side of the argument. Love one another, love one another, love one another. Remember, we talked about the pendulum. Okay, I'm just going to love everybody. I'm going to just have what they call sloppy agape. And I'll have sloppy, I'll just spill sloppy agape everywhere. But the Bible also calls us to beware deceivers, right? Look, he goes, that's exactly where he's going right after verse 6. <clears throat> just as you have heard from the beginning... 
you should walk in love, right? Being loving toward one another, verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Now here's the point. This is not people who, this is not many disagreeers. It says deceivers. Do you guys know the difference? It's not about disagreeing with someone. It's about a deceiver. And he's going to define it. We don't have to wonder what is a deceiver. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Those who do not confess Jesus Christ. They do not confess Jesus Christ as Lord. He's, he's not God. He hasn't come. He's not returning. It is all those tenets we talk about that anchor us into Christian orthodoxy. You take Christ out and you have nothing. So he's saying, here's the deceiver. Someone who is distorting, twisting, or abolishing Jesus Christ in his teaching. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24. See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ for what? To deceive many. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, that kind of seems like today, right? Deceiving and being deceived. 2 Peter wrote, 2 Peter 2, verse 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. What is the focus? Christ, Christ, Christ. What are they attacking? The doctrine of Christ. Who is Christ? What has he done? How has he become our propitiation? How has he saved us? What is being accomplished in and through and by Christ? It says, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you. With false words, this is the subject that John is talking about in John 7. Many deceivers. What's a deceiver? They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ. They don't confess that he was, that God became flesh. They don't confess that he did the things that scripture declares he did. Because we have to stand on the truth, and the truth is, bound up in the triune God and in his word. They are denying that. They are even denying the very master who bought them. Listen to what John writes in verse 8. So watch yourself. Do not lose what we have worked for. Don't lose what we have worked for. Don't get distracted. Anybody ever lost time because you were deceived? Have you ever had a moment, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be about the word of God or about Christianity. Let's just say, for example, you had a really good friend. And your really good friend, you were deceived by someone else that your really good friend was your enemy. And so you bought the deception, my really good friend is my enemy. And now you've spent X amount of years divided because you don't want to have anything to do with that person. Only later to find out. You were deceived. You ever experienced that? Or you put your own example in the story. When we are deceived, 
we lose what we have worked for. When we are deceived, relationships are destroyed. When we are deceived. Now the Bible tells us how not to be deceived. But we don't like listening to that. We like the stories that tickle our ears and tell us what we want to hear. And sometimes those things can lead us astray and we lose ourselves. In my life, when I was, oh, early 20s and I had been, I grew up in the church. I've been spending time in the church. I was part of a band that traveled around <clears throat> to small churches all around the United States. The band was called Encouragement and we'd go in and we'd, sing songs and we do skits and we do stuff in these churches as outreach. Well, when I was 18, my dad left and I got mad at God because dad left. And I obviously was also bitter with the choices that my dad made. And in that moment, I was deceived that God was not worth my time. And I lost 13 years two babies and I can't even tell you how many destroyed lives. So John's warning when John says be careful. Don't be deceived. He says watch yourself so you don't lose what you've worked for. Now 13 years later God in his long suffering being long-suffering toward me and patient, desiring that no one would perish, he is still ministering to me in those years. And he draws me back to himself. And today, the story is a lot different than it was back in 85. The story is a lot different. But I was deceived by the lies of the enemy and I lost what I was working for. I was working for bringing honor and glory to Christ. And I spent 13 years causing people to blaspheme his name. That's the trade-off. So when the Bible challenges us and it says, listen, don't be deceived. Don't get distracted. Don't get pulled away. How did I get pulled away? Did my dad really leave my mom? Yes. Did God allow that to happen? He sure did. Is that disappointing? It was for me. Is God still good? Yeah, God was still good. Did my anger and wrath accomplish anything good? Listen, in high school, I wrote, I was vehemently opposed to abortion. But in those 13 years, I would have aborted any child that came into my life. And I did abort two. Paid for, delivered, the whole deal. I have to live with that. That is what the wrath of man does. The wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. The wrath of man never makes it better. The wrath of man makes it worse so the bible tells us a better way right 
instead of being mad at God and angry and filled with wrath and pouring my wrath out everywhere, what I wish I would have done was told God how I felt, cried out to him, searched his word for truth, talked to my father, talked to other men and and people within the church who could have helped me through my time. What I chose to do was be mad and leave. And it was a 13-year detour. And those 13 years are full of destruction. There was not one good thing that came out of those 13 years. Destruction, 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 destruction. Because I was after self-destruction. That's what I was fighting for. And sometimes we're so angry at everything that's going on, that's what we do. What God wanted from me was submission to him and his way. Listen, the road my dad took made life hard for my family. But it's better today. Now, I didn't know how that could happen. But God does say that he is able to work together good when people mean evil. Right? Yeah, he is. Today, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I wish I would have chose to trust him. And not allowed that downward spiral of man to destroy so many lives as I ran from all that God was trying to do. In verse 9, John writes this, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. So we're talking about being deceived and deceivers. When we talk about deceivers, he's saying, here's how you know. They will abide in the truth. They will abide in the truth. The true tenets of Scripture, the true tenets of Orthodox Christianity There are things that you cannot, there's no leeway. There's no wandering to and fro. We can ask questions about, I don't know how this happened or how that happened, but at the end of the day, what the Bible says is truth. Whatever it says. He's saying you'll know the deceiver because he will go in opposition to truth. At the time when I was being deceived by the voice of the enemy whispering in my ear, The enemy told me, God's destroying my life. And in reality, I was. It was a lie. The Bible would have told me that. The Bible would have told me that God is not destroying my life. So we want to be able to recognize the one who is standing in Christ, not a deceiver. Look at verse 10. So if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house Or give him a greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Keep in mind the culture we're talking to. So, biblical teachers would travel from church to church. Still happens like that today, right? People travel around. Sometimes we'll have a guest speaker who will come in and share words. Still the same then. Only back then... Things were were different, and we're trying to love the brethren. And this guy comes, and he says he's a Bible teacher, and he wants to teach, and we love him because he's a brother. And so we bring him in out of love, and we're hospitable to him, and we take part in what he's doing. But he stood up, and he told the church that Jesus wasn't God. 
or that he didn't really come in the flesh, or that he didn't really do the things that the scripture declares. And so Paul or John is laying out the distinction. How do we love one another and beware deceivers? So if someone does not stand, he's talking about believers, okay? He's not talking about lost people in the world. You guys hear me? The lost people in the world are lost people in the world. They're lost. They're, of course, lost. It's all lost. There's nothing wrong with you bringing them into your house and being hospitable to them. He's talking about someone professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ, professing faith, who wants to teach, who wants to teach things that are not in accordance with the word of God. And John says, that's where you draw the line. That's not someone to love. You don't give him hospitality. You don't bring him in your house. You don't take part in his ministry. You don't give him access to your children. You don't give him access to the, to the body of Christ. You leave him on the outside. So we have this ability to love one another, but when we have a deceiver, someone not holding fast to the tenets of the truth of God's word, someone in disagreement with who Christ says he is, he's not in solidarity with him. This is where John says, don't bring him in. Now, in their culture, there were, you didn't go to a hotel. You didn't, nobody went to a hotel. You know who went to a hotel? Well, they had hotels. You remember when, when uh, Joseph and Mary were traveling, there was no room at the inn. You guys remember? They had hotels. The hotel, the inn, was a place that you went because you had no friends. No people. In ancient Near Eastern culture, it was the height of inhospitability. Is that a word? That's a hard one to say. It was the height of that to not care for your own. You didn't send them to a hotel. You brought them in. You took part of their ministry. When Paul visited, what happened? He lived with the people. He lived in their homes. He ate at their table. They cared for him. They took care of him. They provided him parchment when he needed something to write on. They helped him get to the places he was trying to get to. And so they were fellow workers together with him. John is saying, if a false teacher comes through, you don't do that. You love the brethren, but you got to make sure you're talking about brethren, not the false. The one professing. I've had these conversations before with, with a brother. The Bible actually gives several distinctions for brothers in Christ, right? And so I had this, I had this uh, fellow that I was ministering to, and he, he was coming in, and he, and he told me one day, he says, oh, you know, Jackie, I, uh, me and my girlfriend, he, he, he let slip. People never know. They let slip a lot, but they let, he let slip. Hey, me and my girlfriend are living together. And so I'm like, oh, why do you have to tell me that? Don't t- just don't tell me. Don't tell me. But he told me, so I said, okay. So I opened up the book of Corinthians, and I had him read. And in the book of Corinthians, it says, a brother, someone who claims to be a brother. So I asked him, are you my brother? Yeah. You're a believer in Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's your Lord and Savior. Yes, he is. Then the verse goes on to say, and lives in sexual immorality. 
have nothing to do with him. And so I, I just had him read it. Just, and then I asked him, what do you want me to do? How am I supposed to do this? The Bible tells us how to have our interactions with one another, if we'll be obedient. And that brother <laughs> took a long road. He's in prison today. Yeah. Not currently for trying to kill his wife, but but uh, that's where he's at. He's in prison. He still calls me every once in a while. You know what has brought him every time? You know what has brought him into prison? It starts with a domestic event with a girlfriend he's living with every single time. I think he's been there seven times. Uh, every single, he spent, in fact, I've known him since he, I've known him since 2010 probably. So what year is it? 2021. So however many, however long that is, he's been in prison most of it. Because, well, the word of God surely doesn't mean that you shouldn't live like that. Does it? Every time he's in jail and I talk to him, you know what he says? Jackie, I'm not going to do it again. When I get out this time, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay away, which is a bald-faced lie. I'm going to stay away from women. I'm not going to be anywhere near a woman. It's like, no, brother, we've, we know that's not going to happen. But what if you did it God's way? What, what if you just said, you know, I'm going to be obedient to what the Word of God says. I'm going to do that. What if I do that? Don't be deceived. We are to love one another and be there for one another. But we got to be careful not to be deceived and watch out for deceivers. Deceivers. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying that someone who is living out of wedlock is a deceiver. I'm saying they are deceived. You are being deceived. The enemy is telling you it's no big deal. It's okay. And it's going to wreak havoc. Because just like the wrath of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God, the sinfulness of man won't either. Now listen to what John declares in, in verse 12. This is it. We're all done. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy will be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. So the other churches are greeting. John's hoping to be able to come and stand before them and provide the blessing that he gives here. I want to give a blessing. Love one another. Beware deception. Don't be deceived. Walk in truth. The word of God is truth. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time, Lord Jesus, that we are able to study your word, Lord, to come together. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be men and women who are willing to submit to what the word says. What's it teach? 
We can fall for the lies of cultural relativity, which says none of that stuff Jackie talked about really matters anymore. That's not our culture today. Or we can fall for the lies of societal relativity, which will tell you, do what you want. Or we can fall for the lies of self-deception and just say, I won't be ruled by some 2,000-year-old book. Or we can choose to stand in truth, to love in truth, to experience the truth that God has for us. We can choose to stand with a God who promises no matter how much evil comes against you, I will turn it. All the hurt I've ever experienced in my life, including the hurts I've experienced recently, I know that God is going to use them to encourage another. That God will bring life out of it. God brought life out of all the choices I made all those years ago. God brought life because he is the God who is living. God brings life. The world only offers death in a variety of ways. Death of mind, death of spirit. God offers life. The deceiver will say, oh, no, no, you got it backwards. But the Greek word for knowledge is gnosko, means to experience. I have walked that road. I know where it goes. I have stood at the grave site for my unwanted children. I know where that road goes. I have seen the fruit of the deceiver and there is nothing of life there. So my little children, don't be deceived. Learn to love one another and stand in truth. God be with us till we meet again. In Jesus' name.